Good evening, family. I feel like I can call you family now, right? Seems like we've been, I, I think this is, this is, is this loud? No? It sounds like it for to me. So I think this is day 15 of our retreat. <laughs> feels like that? If it feels like that to you, it definitely feels that way to us. Yeah. But welcome, and you have entered into the final days of your retreat here. And we're still present. Just want to keep that in the forefront of your minds. Still present. But it has been incredibly rich, and what an experience for me to be able to see, just in this short time, the trajectory of your first landing, you know, the body being really tight. How am I going to do this? The mind is what they call papancha. It's just going, you know, can't settle down. I'm sleepy. I'm doubtful. Anyone have any of those experiences? (laughs) Yeah. To possibly where you are now. Maybe a little bit more calm. A little rested. If you were sleepy, hopefully you got some rest. Settling. Figuring out. Thank you, Kimber, for being able to help us adjust our bodies on the cushion and the chair and to get some movement. And it's just the right medicine. Dharma medicine. You know, we don't have to go to the office to get any prescription or anything. It's right here. The Dharma. You know, last night I was so taken because, you know, I think some of you I've been in in group with and I've said that uh, I have such an inclination to the Brahma Viharas. It's like my heart just goes open. It just pours open. And last night, just thank you, Aya, for presenting us with, once again, another entry point. They say that there's 84,000 Dharma doors. Okay. <laughs> Start counting. <laughs> One, two. But we've entered, you have already entered several of those Dharma doors. And then the Dharma medicine has also come from the Sangha. And we know that at some point, I think again it was 14 days ago, I can't remember now, that I think I said to you this pulsating heart was happening, right? This is the heart of the Sangha. This configuration will never be like this again. What a gift to all of us. It's just been um, an absolute pleasure to witness, to bear witness, and to be with you. Yeah. So deep bows. I always entitle my talks and, you know, I always have something going on in this crazy mind of mine. But this talk is called, Where Does It Hurt? And I want to share with you the poem, where it comes from. But I want to tell you a little story about how I got there. Okay. A sister, Dharma sister friend of mine, sent me a podcast uh, by a woman named Ruby Sales. And she's a um, warrior and an activist um, in Atlanta. She's a leader, and she has an organization called the Spirit House Project. And she did some work in 2015 to really start an investigation about the uncertain death of about 2,000 um, black folks in that area. And she entitled it Breaking the Silence Against Modern Day Lynching." quite profound work. But this podcast was from a conversation she had with Krista Tibbet of On Being and herself. And I was just listening. But it was called, Where Does It Hurt? 
And I knew I heard it before. I listened, not the, not the, the podcast, but the title. And so I listened, and I was like, where have I heard that? You know, you kind of scratch your head, where was that? And so I started looking at the internet, and if you have sat with me before, or even in this retreat, you know I like poems. So I literally have a, you know, I'm a paper person too. I'm I'm trying not to be, but it just feels good. It's like a book person, you know. Who wants Audible when you can have a book? (laughs) Except my wife who says, don't bring one more book into this house. I'm done. (laughs) Nobody wants to move us because all we have is books as furniture. And so (laughs) we have something covering it, but it's actually the end table, you know. (laughs) And um, so I opened up. For some reason, I was looking through the poems. I couldn't find what I was looking for on the Internet. And there it was. It's a poem entitled what they did yesterday afternoon. I'll share it to you, share it with you, but I want to just tell you about the author. It's War Song Shire. And she was born in 1988 in Kenya to Somali parents and then migrated, immigrated actually, to the United Kingdom. And she has won multiple literary poetry awards at the really ripe old age of 34. And her words are absolutely brilliant. So if you ever do get a chance. But what I'd like to do is share this poem with you. Because this has been some of the impetus for me. What they did yesterday afternoon. They set my aunt's house on fire. I cried the way women do the women on TV do, folding at the middle like a five-pound note. I called the boy who used to love me. I tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, war song. What's wrong? What happened? I've been praying, and these have been my, what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty, and the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas on my lap. I ran my fingers across the whole world and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere. Everywhere. So when I heard I had already had this poem, everywhere. And I actually used this uh, before, I think it was probably maybe 2021, for another Dharma talk. And at the same time, it was very difficult to write. It was as if I, I wanted to get into it, And I just, I had this start and stop kind of feeling. But I knew that there was something about those last words that I wanted to bring into this sphere with us. So I was reflecting on the poem. I was reflecting on our theme and reflecting on that felt sense that was arising in me. Lots of levels of complexity there. Because there's this emergence that I had to get to that was both internal and external. We have just kind of, you know, I was looking at the external conditioning. We've been faced with a pandemic that is still going on, as we can see, right? We've got the masks. It's been, I guess, next March will be three years. Global pandemic. I was also reflecting on the conditioning of 400 years of oppression for black Americans. That was also in my heart. The caste system and the caste divide. How do we dismantle what is happening with even our democracy? All of that was stirring within me. 
And I felt like there was this urgent need to address the whispers of the atlas and its cries. The planet is attempting to sustain itself, not just now, but for future generations. I mean, we could go into all of the statistics of percentages and so forth, but we're at a critical time on this planet in our lives. And perhaps what I was really looking at, what was arising, was trying to find the stream of my own inner source. Ways in which I could unite both my mind-heart in all of these inquiries. So in reading the poem, what they did yesterday afternoon, what struck me immediately, and I don't know if it did for you, was those last three stanzas. So if you would please just allow me to say them again. I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty, and the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas on my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, I was a bit undone. But I felt like there was something that was touching me in the most intimate way. And it reminded me that um, right about the time as the, of the pandemic had started, there's an organization that is really doing great work around this intersection between the climate justice and the Buddha Dharma. It's called One Earth Sangha. And they had asked me to record, they had these courses and this training, so they had asked me to record one of the units. And it was really about the climate crisis, but it was actually about its impact on communities of color and culture. Because I think this is not always seen. Right. And this organization, I just have to say, if you do get a chance, if you're at all interested, one of the things they say on their website is this, and it just is so beautifully put, we need not shrink from this world. We can be in a meaningful relationship with Earth taking what is wholesome and joyfully reciprocating. So again, if you get a chance, one earth sangha. And I realized that from that talk and that series that I did and the practice, I really needed to practice the work of that wholesome intersection and my intentions to rebuild a relationship. Both for individual healing, but also for collective healing. This is the work that needs to be done in order to heal our sacred relationships. We have a dear teacher and mentor and friend, Larry Yang, and he wrote a book called Awakening Together. And what he's saying is that it's one thing to sit on our cushion and find that place of, that, of enlightenment, freedom, liberation, awakening. But in these times, what we need to do is actually wrap our arms around Sangha, the world, and begin to awaken together in that collective way. And that comes with the intention to practice in that way as well, in Sangha. This healing of our relationships come in so many different ways. Our families, our foes, right? Our histories, our herstories. The deep unintended wounds of generations of strife and oppressions. The inequities, the injustice. And grief, right? When I, I know when I first read the Ruby, the um, Warsang 
Warsan Shire's poem. I remember it not only left me feeling undone, but I felt like this big exhale. And I thought first it was relief. I don't know. It was just kind of that exhale that happens when you feel a little relieved. And then I think in deeper reflection, it was actually combined with grief. And I didn't know how to place it. I just didn't know what to do with that. And so it's the kind of grief that cracks your heart open. Not apart, but open. So then you have an opportunity to kind of look inside as if you're this a physician of the heart. And aren't we all in some ways a physician of our own hearts? Hmm. Just thought about that. I like that, actually. I think I'll use that again. (laughs) A physician of the heart. But we must heal our sacred relationship with the earth. You know, you've come to this retreat for probably many reasons. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was (laughs) us. (laughs) Maybe it was a prerequisite, you know. And maybe it was the theme. Earth. Awareness. Being. Maybe that's what pulled you here. Whatever it was, I'm glad you are here. You know, because all of it is present in this room. During this week, we've heard the name. You've probably have heard... I know Josen has mentioned and Ayaz mentioned Ajahn Chah, Venerable Ajahn Chah. He's a Thai forest monk, teacher's teacher's teacher, right? Um, revered, brilliant, and I understand very funny too. And he has a book called Being Dharma, Teachings of Ajahn Chah. And I want to read something that he said that actually, again, dovetails into this place of earth and practice and nature. So he says, we are practitioners of dharma. All dharmas are nature as it is. Nature is exclusively and completely dharma those things that are not clear to us because we haven't come to know the way to practice is why we need to rely on the instructions and training of a qualified teacher. Nature also teaches us things like trees are born from their cause and growth accordingly. This is nature showing us something all the way from their birth to growing, blossoming, and giving fruit, we're merely, we merely see them as supplying fruit to us as, to eat. We don't see, see them as something for us to turn inward and reflect on. We should know that Dharma is the tree teaching us, but we don't realize it yet. And he goes on to say, when the leaves of the tree wither and die, they fall. We only see it as falling. And we tread on them and we sweep them up without any investigation. We don't realize that this is Dharma. Teaching something for us to hear. Hmm. We walk on the land... And we're not cognizant of how it rises up to meet us and the gifts that it gives us. But this passage by Ajahn Chah just points to this this way of the way through and the way in of changing our consciousness and our perspective and our view. So where does it hurt us? As the poem said. The question can go in a variety of ways because we, as the Buddha said, are conditioned beings. 
we live a conditioned existence. And I believe that because of that, in some ways, we have felt from our own conditionality a sense of separation. Separation from our true and sacred connection. Not just to nature, but to the Dhamma, to our own beingness, to loving awareness and the care for this heart-mind. Separation. So I've been kind of exploring that through line between separation from all that is. Hmm. And in many of my discussion groups today, there was a lot of things that show up for people, especially people of culture. How do we handle all that's in our conditioned world? With a compassionate heart or metta, how do we handle that? And I can tell you for certainty where it hurts me. It hurts my heart and my soul, this separation in the world. It hurts my faith, my pride, my mind, my arms, my ability to connect. It hurts where my ancestors lie. It hurts to see black and brown bodies killed, mass incarceration. Systems that are not put in place, but rather for injustice instead of justice. That's where it hurts. It hurts to see unawakened people and those who don't care about the human condition. That's where it hurts. It hurts to see Mother Earth still weeping and struggling to maintain and our carelessness of our planetary souls. And it hurts to know that I may not see racial and social justice in my lifetime. It hurts everywhere sometimes. And yet I still have hope. Hope against hope. Maybe it's faith. Maybe it's sada. Maybe that's what keeps this heart mind pumping and going. I have hoped that when I reconnect to the source of my being, I'll be poised to begin my own healing work. I have hoped that in doing this healing, I'm not just doing it for me, I'm doing it for my ancestors who couldn't but I'm also doing it for future generations. I have hoped that my grandchildren and their children will be able to recognize the fruit of the tree and the leaves as without question just another part of them. That they won't walk and tread and not know. And I have hope that joy will remain present in our hearts and move us along the path with a countenance of peace. So amongst all of those things that just like, you know, what we see in our conditioned life, I still have this glimmer, maybe it's even more than a glimmer, of hope and faith. And it's important to bear witness of what arises in us in our conditioned lives. It's, re, it's important to forge that path so that we can start to unite and not continue to separate. Probably, I'm going to tell you a little story, probably about 40 years ago, maybe a little more, Eek. Um <laughs> oh. I um, I can imagine how that's going to sound on the recording, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) A little over 40 years ago, I had a spiritual teacher. His name was John. And we were doing some just incredible spiritual dives into 
you know, alternative realities, fourth dimensional stuff, you know, um, through mediums and the path was wide and deep. And this goes to show you about 40 years ago, his name was John, but he called himself the wizard of is. (laughs) Isness. And one of the things he said to me, he said, remember to remember. I was like, oh boy, okay, I got something else I got to do. I remember to remember. But he said, remember to remember to be in the highest consciousness at all times. And the only way I could do that was every time I wrote the letter R, I said to myself, remember to remember. And then I kind of shortened it to R to R. Remember to remember, and I use that even to this day. Remember to remember. Be present. Remember to remember to breathe, to pause. Remember to remember to be in the highest consciousness at all times. And it begs the question about our practice. What are we practicing for? This path that we're on. Why are we practicing? To what end or is there an end? Who are we practicing for? How are we practicing? When are we practicing? Each of these inquiries, they hold a special key to the recollection of our true nature. It's about remembering. These qualities are not lost. We hold them. We have to come into some connection with the external and the internal. The ways in which the external conditioning has affected us internally. Because we have forgotten. We can remember to remember what we have forgotten. We've forgotten the ancient ways of our people. We have forsaken the sacredness of humanity and we've kind of exchanged it for goods and services, you know, transactional. And we haven't quite been able to redeem our human spirit. It feels like now, right? It feels like Just in saying what I'm saying for myself, it feels like now with our practice, how, why, when, who, making that determination, figuring that intention out so that we begin to bring back that unification. I was searching the suttas to see what did the Buddha say about earthen? the combination. And I found this sutta. It's in the Majjhima Nikaya, if anyone's interested, 28. And it is the Great Elephant Footprint Simile. And it's translated by, from Pali, which is the ancient language of uh, that time, by Tanesaro Bhikkhu. And here's the Buddha's words. And what is the earth property? The earth property can be either internal or external. Which is the internal earth property? Whatever internal within oneself is hard, solid, and sustained by craving. This is called the internal earth property. Now, both the internal earth property and the external earth property are simply earth property. And that should be seen as it actually is with right discernment. This is not mine. This is not me. This is not myself. When one sees it thus, it is actually the right discernment. It's that state of, it doesn't have to be this, it's one. It's that oneness. This sutta talks about, in this sutta, it also talks, it doesn't just talk about earth. He uses the word liquid for water, air, fire, and space, those five elements. 
And he, what I believe the Buddha was pointing to here is eliminating the differentiation between the internal and the external and stating very, very clearly that they are one, not to be possessed or owned by oneself or others. We can actually begin this process now of reckoning and reclaiming, bringing back together what we have been living in, and that's separation. This reunification is necessary for our planet. We, I, this practice that we're in is not separate from how we walk in the world. It's a metaphor, right? But it is how we walk each step. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, take the step lightly as you touch the earth. Necessary for the unification of our world, too. And ourselves. How do we reach the other shore? They say reaching the other shore is the shore of freedom and liberation. But to do this work, to practice in this way, is to actually reach the shore with two good oars. Instead of one that may be cracked and broken. I want to reach the other shore, and I want all of us to, to that path of freedom, to that place of liberation and non-suffering. And during this retreat, I'm, you've heard this, we've heard, you've heard us talk about the heart-mind, right? And we're not talking that it's separate. Chitta. Heart, mind, one. We're not differentiating between the rain and the sun. It's all nature. It's all within us. It's that, that place in which we can resource ourselves, maybe for the first time. And I want to share with you, I was sharing a little bit of this with um, Carol just yesterday, and it brought to mind that this may be something I'd love to share with you. And it was in 2019, I had the opportunity and the privilege to travel to South Africa. Josen was with me, was there, not with me, but he was also there. And we went to a retreat center um, in the Drakenberg Mountains. It's called Dharmagiri. And we were there for a month practicing with Tanesara and Kitasaro, our teachers. And this mountain that sits behind the retreat center is called, and I'm going to try to say it correctly because I don't know Zulu that well, Imvulani, Imvulani Mountain and Sheep. I have to tell you, I wish I had a picture right here. I could show you. It's beautiful. The whole land is beautiful. And, it, and it's also called Bamboo Mountain. Why, I don't know, because I didn't see any bamboo there. But <laughs> it's magical and it's sacred. So I take this journey to South Africa because I'm going to sit with these teachers that I love and I'm going to practice and this mountain is right there. So every day, I start to take my journey. Put my boots on, depending on how the weather was. Get my clothes, and I walk up as, as close as I can to the top of that mountain. And it's pretty tall, as much as my, my body could take. And every day, I said, I called her, you know, it has the name of Mama Mountain, I mean, of, of Bamboo Mountain. I called her Mama Mountain. So every day, I went up and I, when I got pretty close to the top, I said, Mama Mountain, 
Will you help me heal today? And through the winds that came, I heard, not today. Next day, got up the mountain. Even if I was like really tired, I went up to the mountain. Sometimes there were bam. Um, I mean, there were ways in which the, the path was a little difficult. But anyway, went all the way up, ask again, Mama Mountain, will you help me heal today? <sighs> Not today. 25 days. Going up the mountain. <laughs> it was my journey. Mama Mountain, will you help me heal today? Not today. So around the 25th day or so, we did this incredible meditation in the meditation hall. Tanesra led us on a meditation of the bardos. It's a Tibetan practice. And so there we were laying on the ground on a mat. The lights were all down and the only thing that was lit was the fireplace that was always stoked and going and some candles on the altar. And she took us through this meditation and the bardos has, there's six types of bardos and I'm not sure which one this was, but the six are the bardos of birth, awakening, dreaming, the moment of death, becoming, and meditation. So I'm not quite sure which one this was. But as I listened quietly, and I just, I think for me the key is that listening, right? Even if there's a whisper, like Mama Mountain, listening. I'd laid there, I can almost feel it now, and as she was walking us and going through this meditation, I felt my body open from the back and open and being held by the earth. It was the most sacred and intimate experience I've ever felt. It was as if I could release, I could actually surrender myself to the earth. And at that moment, there was no separation. And so I laid there and went through the whole process. Quite astounding. <laughs> it was an awakening moment for me. And then I went to bed that night, and guess what I did? Put my boots on. Walked up the hill, the mountain. Almost at this point, wanting to weep, right? Mama Mountain. Will you help me heal today? Yes. Because you're healing yourself. This is the process of where we need to be. This healing, this medicine, this earth healing. We need not go very far. It can be done right here right now, in this present moment. Carol speaks so poignantly about the awareness and the cultivation of sacred reciprocity. This is how it just makes so much sense that this receiving and this giving, it works like this. How many times have we sat in meditation and our, our hands are out to receive? Right? And we talked about this giving, too, of the heart and the receiving of the heart coming back to us. This way of changing our inner narrative, creating a sustainable pathway, even though we live in these conditioned existence. There is healing that is necessary, and I think that this sangha is ripe for that healing. 
This time is right. It's necessary. I'll use the words of Martin Luther King. There's an urgency of now. Drop the facade. Drop all of the cloth and the cloaks that we put on and bear witness to this need to purify, unify, and bring back together, reclaim who we really are, our true nature. You are receiving the gifts of time and space this week. Gathering a lot of skillful means on how to deepen and perhaps restore the precious relationship between your heart, your mind, your spirit, your body. This is the gift you've given yourself. You carved out the time and you showed up. You arrived. And now I must say you're in it. You're in the depth of it. And you've been able to commune with the land. I heard from the retreat coordinators that more and more people have said, I want to walk the Great Loop. I want to hike the Great Loop. It's, this land is magical. Let us not take one moment of it for granted. And we've also been able to be on this ancestral land of the coastal Miwok people. And I have felt its vibration rising up as well. And we've experienced the purification of the rain for the first couple of days. (laughs) Washing over us. Only to be able to fill up these dry creeks with water. And have you had a chance? I was just walking up to the hall this evening, and I stopped. It's not rushing as it was, like the second day, the the day after the rain. But if you listen, can you feel your connection again? And you've had the opportunity to understand your heart in all of its manifestations. Again, the gift what we've given ourselves here. And I think the very, I know that when we all got together on the first day, the opening, the question for the teaching team was, what drew you to this theme? And I remember I said it was sacredness. Something about earth, awareness, and being that was like, oh, I can take that in. Right? There's a sacredness to it. And perhaps now, if I am thinking about it, maybe it was really reclaiming what has been lost from me. It's the reclamation of that sacred. Reclaiming it back through the wisdom of compassion and practice. And the Dharma. As Ajahn Chah said, it's everywhere. It's in the trees. It's in the creek. It's in our hearts. It's in our practice. So as we run our fingers across the atlas, may may there be a day in the near future when we ask, where does it hurt? And perhaps the worldly conditions will have changed. Perhaps our relationships will be healed to the sacred earth and our deep awareness that there really is a possibility to liberation. We're on this path not for the guarantee of freedom, but for the possibility of it. 
if we do this work, recognizing we're not separate from any of it. So as I end my talk this evening, I'd like to share a poem. (laughs) And this one is by Joy Hargo. Harjo, rather. This requires the glasses. And this is called For Calling the Spirit Back from Wandering the Earth in Human Feet. Put down that bag of potato chips, that white bread, that bottle of pop. Turn off that cell phone computer and remote control. Open the door, then close it behind you. Take a breath offered by friendly winds. They travel the earth gathering essences of plants to clean. Give it back with gratitude. If you sing, it will give your spirit lift to fly to the stars, ears, and back. Acknowledge this earth who has cared for you since you are a dream planting itself precisely within your parents' desire. Let your moccasin feet take you to the encampment of your guardians who have known you before time, who will be there after time. They sit before the fire that has been there without time. Let the earth stabilize your pre, your post-colonial insecure jitters. Be respectful of small insects, birds, animal people who accompany you. Ask their forgiveness for the harm we humans have brought down upon them. Don't worry. The heart knows the way through, though there may be high-rises and interstates and checkpoints and armed soldiers, massacres, wars, and those who will despise you because they despise themselves. The journey might take you a few hours, a day, a year, a few years, a hundred, a thousand, or even more. Watch your mind. Without training, it might run away and leave your heart for the immense human feast set by the thieves of time. Do not hold regrets. When you find your way to the circle, the fire kept burning by the keepers of your soul, you will be welcomed. You must clean yourself with cedar, sage, and other healing plant. Cut the ties you have to failure and shame. Let go of the pain you are holding in your mind, your shoulders, your heart, all the way to your feet. Let go the pain of your ancestors to make way for those who are heading in our direction. Ask for forgiveness. Call upon the help of those who love you. These helpers take many forms, animals, element, bird, animal, saint, stone, or ancestor. Call your spirit back. It may be caught in corners and creases of shame, judgment, and human abuse. You must call in a way that your spirit will want to return. Speak to as if it was a beloved child. Welcome your spirit back from its wandering. It may return in pieces, in tatters. Gather them together. They will be happy to be found after being lost for so long. Your spirit will need to sleep a while after it is bathed and given clean clothes. Now you can have a party. 
Invite everyone you know who loves and supports you. Keep room for those who have no place else to go. Make a giveaway and remember, keep the speeches short. (laughs) Then you must do this. Help the next person find their way back through the dark. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention, your kind attention, and your practice. And so now, my clock is correct. (laughs) 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 And I'm actually needing a little guidance on what we are going to be doing. Short break. The bell will ring you back in. And then we'll sit and we'll chant. (laughs) Feels like an (laughs) event. <laughs> Ventriloquist or something. And then you might as well have said it. <laughs> and then we'll sit and chant. <laughs> Thank you again, dear Sangha. Actually, dear family. <laughs>